Katrina asked us, asked Annie and I, uh, if either of us wanted to preach today, uh, especially uh, in order to address many of the events going on in the U.S. right now. So Annie and I were quite honored to do so, and we decided also since it's Trinity Sunday, that we could do so together as a community. And given that this is Trinity Sunday, a big question that we asked ourselves is what does Trinity Sunday with these songs and these readings from the lectionary have to say to us? given all that is happening in the U.S. and around the world. So as we were discussing the, the readings from the lectionary, um, we began with the gospel reading, which depicts Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry. He's commissioning the disciples. And he begins with a reminder of who they are, a reminder that they've been given authority. He calls this the authority of heaven and earth to go out, to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Trinity and to teach what Jesus had commanded them. And so in a nutshell, Jesus is, is commissioning them to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, uh, the, the kingdom that, that Jesus continually preached about during his three years. And the nature of this kingdom, this society, as the gospels repeatedly testify, is, is this nature of Trinitarian love. Jesus consistently refers to his relationship with the Father as the model for his followers to emulate, but not only just to emulate it, to actually participate in. So this is a Trinitarian kingdom. And by Trinitarian, what we mean is, is relational. We're referring to that mysterious primordial union grounded in the self-giving love, the giving of the Father to the Son, to the Holy Spirit each distinct persons who in this incomprehensible love are one God. By the time we reach Corinthians, we get a snapshot or a glimpse of how this early Christian community had begun to live out that great commission. St. Paul reminds the Corinthian church to put things in order to listen to his appeal, to agree with one another, and to live in peace. And he assures them that the God of love and peace would be with them. This passage becomes the precedent for our liturgical practice of sharing the peace, and then is followed by the words of the familiar and beloved prayer, the grace. So this Corinthians passage highlights that this seemingly abstract notion of a Trinitarian God is actually very practical. It is the foundation of everyday life for Christians. 
and it has particular relevance for our response to the injustice that we are witnessing, both in the U.S. and globally. We see entrenched racism, senseless and brutal violence, people in power terrorizing the innocent and refusing to recognize the image of God in fellow humans. This is the case with the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, with the escalation of extrajudicial killings in the Philippines, and the prevalence of racist policies, systems, attitudes, and actions all around the world, including here in Europe. So we were wondering, what does it mean for us here and now? amidst all of this chaos, to celebrate Trinity Sunday? Or, in other words, what does Trinity Sunday and the Trinity itself mean to us after the death of George Floyd? And as uh, Jacob and I were talking and thinking about those questions, um, we thought that maybe a hint can be found in returning to the church in Corinth and that advice that St. Paul gives them. The instructions that he has for the church sound deceptively very easy. He tells them to put things in order, listen to one another, agree, live in peace. But the backdrop of this very simple sounding set of instructions is the diversity and the plurality of the church in Corinth, as well as the diversity and plurality of this God who is Trinity. So what sounds sort of deceptively simple and straightforward, this list of instructions, we can all kind of give our assent and nod along to those instructions without really having to think about them becomes infinitely more challenging. What does it actually look like for a group of people from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic contexts, different cultures, different languages to live together in peace, to establish an orderly, shared, common life? What would it look like to to truly listen, to truly hear one another, let alone agree or to seek consensus. St. Paul appears to offer the Corinthians three concrete things to address some of those questions. The first is the instruction to greet each other in peace. The second is the solidarity of all the saints who send their greetings, who stand with the church in Corinth. And the third is prayer. He prays the grace over their community. And it's out of these practices and habits of common life and relationality that we experience God's peace and the shalom of the kingdom. This is why we meet each Sunday, why we gather and practice peace, embody solidarity, 
and engage in prayer. We gather not just to think and talk about abstractions like Trinitarianism or the kingdom of God, but to, but to participate through habits of heart, mind, and body. Moments from now, we will share the peace, and that practice, that habit, becomes the muscle memory with which we move through a world that is desperate for peace. We will also pray the grace, entering into that eternal conversation of the Trinity. And in a sense that is beyond our comprehension, we will be joined by all the saints and angels, willing the love and peace of God on earth. Why? Because we have been told that we have the authority of heaven and earth to bring these realities to bear upon all the powers of evil and destruction that sometimes seem much more real and terrifying. It's from this place of empowerment and community that we go out into the world. And we thought it was also worth noting that in both texts, we see the same pattern both Jesus and St. Paul, um, they, don't, they don't address individuals, but they address individuals who are embedded in communities. There's a real radicality to the mission of God as entrusted to communities, to these, this organism that we call the church. And that calls us to decenter our individual selves and take up the responsibility of living for and with others. It's, it's in this context of community that we are empowered and truly given that authority to bring the kingdom of God to bear upon the world. And we also felt an important um, for ourselves to acknowledge that, that there have been many times in which the church, a community to which we belong, has utterly failed this responsibility toward others, both in the past and in the present. There is a two-edged nature to power and power has been repeatedly abused by the churches our gospel text itself has been wielded in ways to, to prop up um, Christendom. Anglicanism in various contexts has used power to prop up colonialism, slavery, marginalization of various groups. And then at other points and times in history, it has also leveraged that same power to dismantle abusive institutions like, like the transatlantic slave trade. So just lest we make this sound simplistic or attempt to absolve ourselves of the responsibility of these grotesque histories, we have to confront our corporate sin and our individual complicity. I have spent a, a lot of time recently exploring the sacrament of reconciliation and the 
the key that I keep coming across in terms of, of what it means to be reconciled is that reconciliation emerges out of confession. It's only after I admit to being part of a problem that I can begin to be part of a solution. And as Annie and I were discussing this, we, we noted that it serves us well to look again at St. Paul's exhortation to listen and to agree, or maybe better rendered, to seek consensus. We've been feeling immensely powerless in the face of this tidal wave of injustice, video after video, of evidence of this, these horrors coming online. So it's good to look again at concrete practices, things that we can actually do. We need to get busy with listening, decolonizing our bookshelves, our Twitter accounts, looking for places where we can hear perspectives that we haven't been hearing. And we need to seek to agree, to establish consensus on subjects like human worth and dignity with those in our circles of influence. This is a note to, motivi- note, note to motivate ourselves as highly privileged white people. We need to interrogate our own motivations, assumptions, and complicity. We also need to have hard and persuasive conversations with those people in our circles who might think that systemic violence in whatever form it takes, is not their problem or that they are not part of the solution, that they can just sit it out. In contrast to that attitude, Martin Luther King Jr. eloquently explained, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It's everyone's responsibility. So to be... A Christian to be part of this struggle for justice is to participate in the life of the Trinity, to embody Trinitarian love in a world that is full of hatred. And in so doing, we become these signs of hope in the midst of despair. And we become prophets of shalom, even when our societies are in chaos. The Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox theologian, Kalistos Ware, highlights this connection between the Trinity and justice when he says, our belief in a Trinitarian God in a God of social interrelation, interrelationship and shared love, commits us to opposing all forms of exploitation, injustice, and discrimination. In our struggle for human rights, we are acting in the name of the Trinity. This is why we protest. And in this time, all of us can cling to those final words of Jesus to the disciples. The words he gave both to those who worshiped and to those who doubted. 
remember, I am with you always to the end of the world. Amen.